0: Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for a ultimate meaning, destiny, and purpose. For what is ultimately real, which is only what can satisfy the very inner core of your being. This is about the very reason for which all things exist and consist, including you, which is in the ultimate source of reality. The very source of reality is an ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, which is the very source of love, which is who the one true eternal God is. For those that are new, I just want to give a brief introduction that I have a website at ultimatemeaning.com. That's ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flip book with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you. Very interesting, very insightful writing that answers a lot of hard questions. And there's a lot of print that is highlighted in red, and that is actually links to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing that highly confirm from many fields of science and archeology, span the reality of what I am sharing here and expose the mastery of deception that the vast majority of the public has bought into. These videos show irrefutable evidence. And so you can check that out. So this message is for those that have come to know the one true God, for whom to know is life eternal. Now, for those that are new, I should also point out that at my website at ultimate I have a YouTube video a little ways down that goes the whole breadth of the web page there of the paragraph. And that video explains in detail who the one true God could only possibly be. So Instead of making long introductions like I used to about this, you can just watch that video at ultimatemeaning.com that explains who the one true God could only possibly be. So I want to share with those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. Now, his name in the Old Testament, if you look it up in the Hebrew language, In the English, in the King James, for example, or most Bibles in English, would have the word Lord and God. And the word Lord in the Hebrew is usually the word Yahweh. Some pronounce it Yehovah, but Yahweh is more accurate. And that basically means the ultimate reality, the source of reality that is separate and above and beyond creation, the I am that I am. And the second word for the word God is Elohim, meaning the Almighty's, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For God to be Almighty, one aspect of that requirement is not only an ultimate perfection of love that could only be trustworthy, to contain unlimited authority, power, and life without being corrupted by it or being using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative of him being the very source. It is not only the requirement that there be this ultimate perfection of love, but also that God is almighty because he is in three personages, because only therein can God rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, time, and space, as the Father, in the creation realm, as the Son. The word Son means expression, basically. Uh, Another word for the Son of God is the word word, which is expressing as well. And so it says in John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And it goes on to describe that word being Jesus Christ. But the word, and so you've got beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation as the Holy Spirit and omnipresence. So I just want to briefly mention that before I start here. And this message that I speak, I speak seeking to speak as it commands in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And this is further understood in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Speaking as the oracles of God comes out of worship, speaking in a way that is prophetic, not in the sense necessarily, in most cases not so, of the future, but in the sense of allowing God to speak through us beyond ourselves by his spirit. And so we are to seek to do that when we assemble together. When we sense the Spirit of God rising in us in the assembly, we are not to quench the Spirit, but to speak out whatever that is, whether it comes forth in a song, or a word of encouragement, or exhortation, or a testimony, or a prayer, or a prophetic utterance, or a word of knowledge, you know, of knowledge or exhortation, whatever. And there should be total liberty in church services for people as that happens to not have to be concerned about being filtered and having to go up and get permission to use the mic. They should just be able to allow God to move through them as they sense the Spirit leading them. To speak forth out, not of themselves, because they sense the Spirit of God rising in them to speak. That's another whole thing that God wants to recover in these last days. Um, to bring forth his glory and fullness in the body of Christ in local assemblies throughout the world. So what I seek is to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God, and I cast lots to get two chapters, using two independent random applications on the internet, Internet to get the possibility of any chapter, so I get two chapters, I do this with great prayer and reverence. And when you're walking right with God, if God leads you to do this, it really works. And you'll always find a theme. And so after I find those two chapters by lot before God, I meditate on them for half an hour and then I speak. So that's what I'm doing today. I don't know what I'm going to share. But that allows for me to speak out of a heart set and mindset of worship so that God may speak what he is wanting to speak to the body of Christ. And this time I'm doing it really late in the night, which is not normal, but there was a lot of things going on. And so I am sharing this message. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. And so I want to, first of all, Share the song I chose today. I also seek for God to lead me to um, many possibilities of songs. I have 1,257 possibilities that I can choose from, but often I find other ones, but they are all songs that I put on my um, list, my playlist, which is on my other website at loverealize.com. And there you can go and um, you, you will find that playlist really powerful. You can use it on an overhead projector if your overhead projector can be con- connected to the internet and play a YouTube video. They all have the words and many times nice backgrounds and I'm very particular. that the songs have to have deep meaning and beautiful instruments and beautiful tunes. So they're all very high-quality songs, and so I want to share first of all and sing with the song that I've picked today, which we will go with right now before I get into this message. I I may put this one on the playlist if it's not in there. I don't know if it is for sure, but here's the song. long I
1: plead cross,
0: Oh, yes, oh Lord.
1: Lord. I pray, my soul, yes, Lord. to pay.
0: Relationship with God, where we can see the cross not as something to grit our teeth over and endure. It's kind of like Thomas, you know, when the Lord said he was going to return because Lazarus had died, they're worried that they're going to be stoned, and the Lord says, You know, can't you just uh, recognize that when you walk, If you're walking in the light, you know where you're going. And so it is, if you're walking in the dark, you could stumble on a stone or accidentally take a wrong pathway, Christ was indicating. But he says, we know that we are going in God's plan, and so therefore whatever happens is in his plan. But Thomas had his mind set, oh, we will go with you, Lord, and we will be uh, willing to... Stone with you, or something like that he said there. The mindset is not on the cross and getting your eyes on the suffering that you must endure for the sake of God, but on loving God in such a way that your love for him acknowledges that whatever happens when he's in charge, you know it's for your best interest. So if he wants you to go through an experience of painful dying, there will be the blessing of coming out of that and the strength to go through it. It's a matter of trusting in him. Now I want to share with you what I received from the word of God today from the casting of Lot before God. And I may also touch also on Yesterday, as I didn't have the opportunity to preach on the two passages I received yesterday. But I just want to touch on those passages first before I go to the ones today. <clears throat> Psalms 136 is a psalm I recently, when I cast lots, also got. It might have been a week ago or something like that. And so I believe God is emphasizing something through this song. And it's a very simple song because it keeps on saying, Oh, give thanks unto Yahweh in the original, or Oh, give thanks unto the Lord in English, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. And it goes on, and it's a song. It goes on, as, for he does wonders for his mercy endures forever. He brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea. Now the mercy of God comes out of, first of all, the holiness of God, which is the integrity of God's love that will not tolerate what is contrary to his love, that will not condole, condone what is corrupt, what is evil. And so, It is out of that that springs forth the mercy of God. And I've emphasized in many of my messages that you cannot know the mercy of God until you first totally reciprocate and recognize that the holiness of God in its severity in our own lives and in this world with the consequences of suffering and so on is good because it is bringing judgment upon corruption. That is why when Adam and Eve fell there is suffering in the world. It is the consequences of their rebellion against God. When Eve chose to buy into the doubt that's the seed of Satan put in her heart and mind that she didn't have to buy into but chose to buy into, at that moment she lost the genuine fear of God because she began perceive God as less than ultimately trustworthy, to be worthy of unlimited power and life and authority. And the genuine fear of God is that right perception of the reality of who God is, who is the very source of reality, that acknowledges him as trustworthy, unconditionally trustworthy. So Eve fell and Adam fell through buying in to what Eve had done. And so Adam was even possibly in many ways more to blame because he did it not so much out of being deceived but out of willingly buying into what Eve had done. What I want to share here is that this Psalm 136 on the mercy of God. It is the mercy of God. It is only in the mercy of God that there is the full manifestation of the love of God, which was fully displayed on the cross. Now, I do teach and many of my messages have a core teaching on the fear of God. It emphasizes, first of all, that the two aspects of God's love are the integrity of his love that will not tolerate sin. This is this agape love that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, that is far above soulish love, filial love, feeling love, and of course, eros, sexual love. This love always chooses the highest lasting good freely and as such is against all that is less because all that is less than that would have a measure of corruption in it. I'm going to just turn off something on my phone that goes off at 10.30 because it's 10.30 in the evening and I don't usually preach this late so I want to turn this buzzing thing off here. There we go. Um, the holiness of God is as it were a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love it is the destroyer of corruption it is what ensures a destiny without corruption it is the defensive aspect of the being of God's love and God calls us to be those that can rightly, the genuine fear of God, as I have said, is that deep turning from the heart, a choice to deeply turn from the heart and receive who God is, is ultimately trustworthy because his love is totally integral and pure to not tolerate corruption, to not tolerate sin. It is, as it were, a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. That is a fire of love, an all-consuming, jealous fire of love. Yes, he is a God of judgment. I actually heard pastors teach, charismatic pastors teach, that God is not a God of judgment. When it says right in Isaiah, that very verse, it says that God is a God of judgment. Look it up. Of course he's a God of judgment. God could not be good if he wasn't. The conscience in us that we are all born with innately knows that for there to be good, what is corrupt and evil must be judged. And that aligns with the genuine fear of God that chooses to acknowledge that God cannot tolerate corruption, that he is ultimately good. But the enemy gets us focused on all the suffering. Why would God allow this and this and this and all this in my own life and causes doubt that we buy into or tempt us like Eve towards something that would cause us to doubt that God is all-powerful. And this is what happened to the children of Israel. But the mercy of God in Psalm 136 comes out of first reciprocating who God is in his holiness. You cannot know the mercy, the fullness of God's love, until you totally receive the acknowledgement of your need for God's mercy because you're undone in view of his holiness. Like Abel, who recognized he needed to bring a sacrifice that his own righteousness could never suffice God and that only god had the power to forgive and that that was symbolized in placing his sin on the head of that lamb and slaying it as god himself provided animal skins before for them even before that happened with abel what i want to share with you is that what causes god to endure forever is that he has this ultimate quality that always was in the infinite past that could actually become a perfect atoning, substitutionary sacrifice for created beings like you and me. Oh, some might ask, oh, well, what about the angels? How come, you know, the devil and so on can't be forgiven and all that? Well, there's a very clear answer for why. When God created man, he created them with a physical body. He created them in the physical third dimension, which is a very inferior dimension to the fourth, fifth, all the way up to the tenth dimension as revealed by mathematical analysis and particle physics. Secular scientists say that those that experience going to heaven and so on uh, are experiencing the fifth dimension, which is very, very superior to this dimension. And so... What I'm saying here is that in man being created in this physical dimension with a physical body, that the sin that he commits is via the physical body, so it's an indirect rebellion through the physical realm. Whereas the angels were created to be in the direct stream of the blessings of God's glory and love flowing through their being, created as very beautiful beings with tremendous power and they are greatly in the fear of God, acknowledging that without God they are nothing, that he was the one that made them, and that therefore all things that God creates are for his pleasure, and that therefore also their pleasure is only ultimately found in God. But some of them fell, but it was a direct rebellion directly against the Spirit of God, and the Word of God says that whoever sins against the Holy Spirit, That is blasphemy that cannot be forgiven. But we were created in a different way. So that we have the opportunity, and I could get into a lot of teaching on this to dispel some really false teaching that I know is going around the body of Christ. Such as, and I can't get into it here because I want to get into the message, such as, I'll just try to touch on it quickly, but such as the fact that Christ at one point was not God on the cross, that when he went to hell he was just a worm and, and wasn't God. This is not what is taught in those verses if you study them. And I will point this out and go into deeper teaching on that. Christ was always God in the flesh. And it was God in the flesh that conquered sin and death. And to deny that it was God that conquered sin and death in the flesh, that is Yahweh, who Christ said he is, for he said he was the I am that I am. And the I am that I am is referring to the most sacred name, which is Yahweh, Yahweh. So the Father is Yahweh, the Son is Yahweh, and the Holy Spirit is Yahweh because Yahweh is the being, the perfection of the being of God's love, his spirit, they that worship God, worship him in spirit and truth. God is a spirit. His spirit is Yahweh. His spirit is in the Father. His nature is being of love. There is one God in three personages, as I explained. But here's the thing that I want to point out. When Christ was on the cross even though he experienced the forsaking of God's presence and judgment he never lost his faith in the Father. He was always in a state of selfless trust. How is boasting excluded? It is excluded by the law of faith because there's no self-seeking or pride or self-worship in that. Christ was in a state of Total holiness in his soul, entrusting the Father through that judgment. Yes, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But that does not mean that he ceased to be God. He was oh he said, Into my thy hands I commend my spirit. He didn't say, God, why have you forsaken me with a fist of rebellion? He was always in union with the Father. And the scriptures make it clear that they would not suffer this, that he would not be suffered to see corruption. I will not suffer my holy one to see corruption. He did not see corruption when he died. He went into Hades and he preached to the spirits in prison. He didn't cease to be God. He was God and preached to the spirits in prison. And when is and we know that it says the life The soul of the flesh is in the blood. When it says the life of the flesh is in the blood, it's saying the soul, that's the word soul, of the flesh is in the blood. And the blood was what was used to be shed so that our soul could be brought into oneness with God. That allowed, and I don't want to go into detail about this, but when we make choices with our soul, it can affect our blood in certain ways so that in following generations if we hate God, there is genetic distortions in the blood. Christ's soul was obedient and resisted all temptation so his blood that didn't come from a man was totally pure and perfect and could therefore absorb judgment without being corrupted. And of course the blood When we make wrong choices, it can also have vibrations to affect the soul too, I believe. But that's just something I don't want to get into. It. What I'm trying to say here is that it wasn't from Christ's suffering in some place in Hades that we were forgiven. As the scripture says, it's because he tasted death on the cross. Yes, it does say he became sin for us. In other translations, it says became sin on our behalf in the sense that a target was put on him that should have been put on us. In that sense, he became sin. He became the target for God's judgment, but he himself never ceased to be God. He was whole. He always had a total state of selfless trust in the Father. That's why it says in Romans one four that he rose from the dead by the spirit of holiness because he had the power to rise from the dead because there was no sin in him. Even when he absorbed judgment on the cross, that's why it says in Isaiah 25, I believe it is, that he swallowed up death. The death is swallowed in the victory. What is the victory? The victory is the fact that he could overcome corruption, that he could absorb and taste death for us and absorb it without being corrupted himself. And to deny that God has come in the flesh, which is Jesus Christ, has come in the flesh, because Jesus Christ is. Referring to God when it talks about the anointed chosen one, Messiah. It's referring to God. The people in the time of Christ acknowledged, many of them, that there was a Messiah coming. And of course, we have Christ appearing to Abraham in Genesis 18. And Abraham addressing him as Yahweh, the most sacred name of God. And Yahweh ate food with Abraham. And that was Jesus Christ that appeared to Abraham. Now, I don't want to go on and get sidetracked because I want to get to the core of this message here. This message that I want to share here today, we see, therefore, when we we reciprocate the whole being of God, when we have the right manifestation of his mercy and receive that mercy, first out of fully turning to God and the genuine fear of God, which allows us to believe in who God really is instead of having an idolatrous, monotheistic perception of God. When it says that whoever believes in him, it's talking about believing in him for who he is in reality, not some idolatrous, monotheistic, distorted perception of a God that condones sin. Or a God like Cain that is a dictator that demands appeasement because you became unthankful and you began to have a warped perception of God as some enigma that you didn't fully understand and, and that you were there was a seed of unthankfulness in you. And now you, like Cain, have all your rituals that you perform that you think will cause you to be pleasing to God, but yet your heart is far from God. So what is God saying through these chapters in John 15. So how does John 15 fit with Psalms 136? It fits with Psalms 136 because it's talking about abiding in God. And the secret of abiding in God is to reciprocate the being of God's love which is fully manifested in the mercy of God that was ultimately displayed on the cross in Jesus Christ. The continual abiding. It says, As we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him in Colossians. This is the secret to abiding in him. It involves a life of fellowship, a life of seeking him, of prayer, of spending quality time praying and seeking God, meditating in his word. It says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And then if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And I could go on and share a lot more with these verses, but for time I would get off topic if I did. I'd never get to what I receive today. And so I do want to point out what the commonality is between these two chapters. Exodus 16 and Hosea 3. The full genuine fear of God births unconditional thankfulness. That's what I said. So I want to point out what's first of all in Exodus 16 and maybe read a few verses from there. Because... Exodus 16 is about the children of Israel. And that was the first one I received, so it should be the first one I go to. And here the children of Israel were murmuring against Moses and Aaron. And they say here in verse 3, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots." And when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Here the Lord just not too long ago delivered, they saw the whole Egyptian army swallowed up by the Red Sea, saw amazing miracles, and here they're suffering a bit in their flesh and have a wrong attitude. Instead of coming to Moses and saying, Moses, would you pray and beseech God? Because it's difficult. We're suffering, but we fear God and we love God. And so help, help, just help us with your prayers that God would answer. It's very difficult suffering like this. Instead, they allowed their focus to become on the painful dying to the flesh they were going through. What was the song that we sung today? It was on embracing the cross. It was on embracing dying to self, as Christ said, except the corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Many of us do not die very easily. In fact, many of us are real diehards. But I tell you, if we continue to abide in God and cry out to him and repent of the rebellion that is being exposed in the wilderness trials of our life, instead of giving up and getting bitter and rebellious and unthankful, there will be breakthrough in our lives. And we will come into a place like Christ. Who could have a selfless trust in the Father even though he experienced being humbled more than you, a mere creature, suffering more than you, a mere creature, so that you could be forgiven and be reconciled to God? You think about that. How much God loves you that he would do that for you. How can you reject such love? I want to tell and shout on the house, Pop. People, if God loved you that much, receive his love. Repent. He he has the best for you. Yes. It doesn't mean you're going to have a life of roses, but let's face it, the whole world suffers. There's no one. Yeah, there's some people, they live a very pleasurable life. But as it says in the word of God, how does their life end? That is the issue. But Generally speaking, everyone in the world suffers. Even the ones when they die and die of a disease, it can be a very humbling and suffering process. But when we suffer whatever God allows through our lives that is suffering, we can learn to trust him through the suffering. The Word of God says we're to arm our minds with a mind to suffer. And it also said they were to consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And when you're going through trials, that can happen. But acknowledge that he's the potter, that he has a creative purpose in your life. Don't become like the children of Israel, falling into unbelief. Why did that happen to them? Why did they forget what they were saved from? Remember what it says in Peter, that he that lacketh these things, that is adding to your faith, diligence, and so on and so on, cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. The children of Israel, the reality of what they were delivered from did not impact them with great thankfulness. It's like the ones that were healed of leprosy. Only one of them was so impacted and thankful that he came back and thanked God. the secret to a deep abiding relationship with Christ is thankfulness, which comes out of the genuine reciprocation of who God is in his being that works out of the fear of God to perceive and receive his love aright and then out of that have faith exercised in God to prevail with a trust in God. It says them that suffer are to keep or to commit the keeping of their soul unto God as unto a faithful creator in the sense that God is so creative since he's the creator that he will do things through that suffering that will be very creative for eternity that they will experience in their lives a blessing. It says after you've suffered a while he will strengthen, establish, and settle you. If we endure the dying to sell. And God is calling us as His people in this hour to not preach a false gospel of prosperity. Doesn't mean that we can't believe God to prosper us, to have resources to help others. But let's not have our focus on that, but finding our pleasure in a love relationship with God that can transcend the most diverse and deep. Hard circumstances possible because that is true abundance of life. Then he can entrust us with maybe the things that we don't find pleasure in that we once found pleasure in because it's been replaced with a far deeper subjective experience and pleasure of fellowship with God. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you And of course, manna came down and the quails. And then they were murmuring because they couldn't get water in this chapter. And so Moses is commanded to hit with his staff the rock and this enormous river of water comes out. And so God was very good to the children of Israel. They were saying, is God among us or not? They were tempting God. And still God, at this point, did not bring plagues upon them in judgment. But as they continued to be unthankful and not thankful for the things that he was doing like this, judgment came. So the secret is to embrace the cross of God's love. It is his love for us that is so jealous that he knows we must learn through these experiences, just like the patriarchs, Like it says of Joseph, until his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. He went through terrible trials, Joseph, having his own family try to kill him and sell him as slaves. And yet he ended up showing such mercy to those that did that to him because he knew the genuine fear of God in his life. And he was sent ahead to prepare the way for others god sends many of us ahead and in being sent ahead we are put through terrible trials but it's to prepare the way to be a blessing to others to show mercy to the very ones that may have been the ones that terribly hurt us now how does this fit with hosea chapter three hosea chapter three is such a short chapter That I want to read it here. Then said Yahweh unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord, toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver and for an homer of barley and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days and thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. And then it says this, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without a teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek Yahweh, their Almighty's? and David their king, and shall fear Yahweh and his goodness in the latter days. Hallelujah. This is going to happen. But there's a parallel here between the children of Israel, which now are experiencing for these many centuries, being without a king, without a sacrifice, without an ephod to get direction from God, so on and so forth. The children of Israel. That is being parallel to this woman that she should abide faithful with him. But we know she played the whore. She played the whore and so God had to put her through the wilderness of trouble, the valley of Achor. There's a song which I can't bring up right now for time that says, Thou hast drawn me into the valley of Achor. And there she shall sing in that valley, which means the valley of trouble. She shall sing unto God because then she will know who her true source is. This woman was unfaithful. And she went through a process of judgment, of humiliation that brought her to the end of herself to finally see who her true source was, to finally reciprocate who God was and his mercy. It says here in Hosea also this of the children of Israel. I want to read this. It says, Then said, God, call his name Lomi, for ye are not my people and I will not be your God.'" Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. I don't know why I'm crying. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. They're going to look on him whom they have pierced. Then shall the children of Israel, the children of Judah, and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land; for great shall be the day of Jezreel, and you know what the word Jezreel means? It means it shall be sown of God, not our own righteousness. It's God that wants to sow into our heart his seed, his living word, in rebirth, in genuine conversion, in genuine rebirth. Genuine rebirth is a deep circumcision of the heart. It's a deep turning of the heart out of genuine belief in who God is. It's not just intellectual ascent. It's a sincere and true prayer, whether quiet, but in many times it's a desperate cry from the heart. And so it describes here about the whole creation being liberated because there's the manifestation of the glory of God's children in the millennial reign of Christ when he returns, because this happens just as Christ returns when they look on him whom they have pierced. And so it describes in Hosea how the heavens will hear the earth, and the earth will hear the corn and the wine, and the corn and the wine will hear Jezreel, which means it will be shown of, sown of God. So there's this beautiful vibration of the harmony of God's love that the heavens hear because the heavens are hearing this beautiful vibration of the harmony of God's love that has come forth on the earth as the millennial reign of Christ begins. There's the manifestation of his children coming forth in glory. This is such a wonderful passage. But the secret is to reciprocate who God is to grow and build ourselves up in the most holy face, praying in the Holy Spirit, as it says in Jude. And that is reciprocating the love of God, the mercy of God, and showing forth his praise and extending, you know, reaching out to others, obviously, with the good news of the gospel. So thank you for listening to this message. God is calling his church to return. the genuine fear of God in preparation for his return God bless you all